Right, we do something simple. Cool. Something that won't stress you out and something can be done quicker than ordering a takeaway. A very straightforward, easy Malaysian curry. We're going to make a curry paste. Right, okay. And the most exciting thing about this paste is that you can make it at the start of the week. Yeah. Use a bit of it and just keep it in the fridge. It's there, yeah. ready, like butter. OK, Dave, I want you to peel the ginger. Gordon, I want you to cut the chilies in half. Garlic, lemongrass and shallots. What we're going to do with these ingredients, we're not going to chop them all. We're just going to blend them into a paste. Bung everything in a blender, add turmeric and blitz. Then add a drizzle of ground oil and blitz again. Give a little shake. And that's your paste. Okay. Put a little smell like that in there. Oh, wow. Get it all nice and hot. Yeah. And wash. A little bit in there. And start cooking that out. Okay. Now, once we start cooking off this paste, yep. then we're going to slice the onions, put the onions in. Okay. Just look at the colour of that now. Oh. That's the little magic ingredient in there. Now, this is what it should be like at the weekend, you guys cook. You know that? Yeah? Yeah. How does it feel to be cooking? I'm actually good. really enjoying it. Really yeah. superb. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the well here at STSA. We're so happy that you're joining us here today. But before I begin, I want to make sure that everyone knows that today is not Easter. <laughs> Just in case there's somebody who strolled in and said, oh, I'm going to go to church my yearly my yearly visit to church on Easter Sunday. We're super happy that you're here, but today is not Easter. So in the Orthodox Church, we're on a slightly different calendar. Same event, just different calendar, but we got about five weeks to go until, until Easter. So if you thought I'm going to come, just kind of do my Easter thing and kind of coast, you got five weeks to go. And I'll tell you a funny story that one time, several years ago, there was a guy who came to me and it was just before, it was another one of these times where our Easter was like five weeks different than, than the rest of the Easter. And he came to me like the week before and he's like, you know, I want to like really take like Holy Week really serious this year. And I want to like repent. I want to change certain things. And I want to go to church and I want to fast. I want to do all these things because God really convicted me this past week and I want to change. And I was like, that's really great. But just so you know, like next week is not our Easter. Okay, we still got five weeks to go. And he basically said to me, oh, I'll see you in a month. <laughs> It was a real deep change, okay, that really affected that person. But anyway, whether or not that's you, you came for Easter, came for whatever, you came on a fantastic Sunday because we are in part four of a series called Seasoning Life, where what we are talking about is how to live a questionable life. And what we agreed is that our job as Christians on this earth is to be soldiers, ambassadors for Christ, and to follow the same mission. And Jesus lived such a life that everyone looked at him and said, there's something different about you. You're not like the rest of us. Why, are, why, why do you do that? Or what, They asked him questions. And then his followers, they asked them a lot of questions. They said, you guys, when, when we curse you, you pray for us. And when we uh, steal from you, you forgive us. You guys are not like us. So we're talking about five habits to make our lives to match those lives of questionable. Okay, and our theme verses here from Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What we talked about in the beginning is that our lives need the proper seasoning because not all Christian lives taste the same. Not everyone who says, I am a Christian, their life tastes the same. In the same way that not all steaks taste the same. 
A steak is a steak is a steak is a steak. But what makes a difference in how it tastes is the seasoning. And you put a little bit of salt, put a little bit of pepper, put a little bit of sweet baby rays, as we talked about in week one, and it makes a world of difference. Either way, it's a steak, okay, but the seasoning makes all the difference. And the same thing for us. Our lives should taste like sweet baby rays. Our lives should taste different than the rest of this world. And our lives should taste good, number one, to God when he sees us praying, when our prayer is seasoned with these habits, and then the world around us when our lives are seasoned with these habits as well. First two habits we looked at, if y'all remember, just to kind of recap, we're going through the acronym BELLS, all right, but not necessarily in sequence. The first um, habit was to bless three people, all right? And I won't ask for a show of hands. Actually, let's ask for a show of hands. How many people blessed three people during that one week, or at least one person during that one week? Okay, very good, very good, fantastic. And I know several people told me that they took this seriously, and several life groups took this seriously, and it was great because we had like a ping-pong effect going on with blessing going on in this church. And I'm blessing you, and then I turn around, somebody blessed me, and then I want to thank them, but it was anonymous. I don't know who to thank, so I end up thanking everybody and being nice to everybody, and then you go out and bless somebody else. And this was a fantastic thing. Our lives as Christians should be characterized by unsolicited generosity. Would you agree with that statement? Our lives as Christians must be characterized by unsolicited generosity, irrational generosity. So that was the first week. Last week, our habit was to learn. Okay, and what we talked about is that we want to spend one period of time learning Christ, reading, because what we agreed is that accepting Christ is very important, but investing in Christ is equally important. That we don't want to be people who just say, we believe in God. We want people who invest our lives into God. And we want to grow and mature. And we talked about that last week. And I don't know about you, but this might have been my favorite week. Okay, what I did, I did something crazy after this. I decided that I enjoyed, basically I took my Monday and I just spent all Monday reading. For the most part, not all of it, but a good part of it. And I decided after this, this was so good for me. Okay, because why this is good, in case you think, what's the big deal about reading? How can I live the life of Jesus if I don't study the life of Jesus? How can I show the world him and the beauty of a relationship with him if I am not furthering and deepening that relationship with him? So for me personally, it was good for my mind, my body, my spirit, that I said, I am going to, see how far I get, read one book a week for as long as I can. Now with that said, I'm not going to read, basically I have two kind of goals, either read one new book a month or an old book one a week because I just enjoy this so much, because I look at my shelf, and every time I look at my bookshelf, I'm like, I want to go back and read that book. That was a great book, and I remember that book. And I just, I have all these great books that I want to go back and read, so I said, you know what? As far as I can get, I'm going to try to read a book a week of an old book or a new book once a month. I know it sounds crazy, but believe me, that to me is heaven. That's an introvert's dream. Now, for some of you, what I just described about a book a week sounds like torture, it sounds like if they put you in jail, that's what they would make you do. You like to party. You like to live it up. You like to hang out. You like to socialize. So you say, oh, no, I came to a church where they're just going to tell me to read and pray and all that kind of stuff. Well, if that's you, I got good news for you because today is your day. Because our third habit that we're going to talk about today, while the second one of learn may make you cringe, the third one today may make you smile. Because your assignment for this week is to eat with two people. That's right. I'm commanding you this week, in the name of the Lord Jesus, to eat more. Not more food, 
but with more people. Rest of the world tell you need to eat less. You spend your whole year thinking I need to eat less. And I'm here to show you today that you don't need to eat less. That in order to live a seasoned life, a Christ-like life, you actually need to spend more time eating because eating is one of the most important habits of the Christian life. I'll show you. Fill in the blank here for me. If I said to you, the Son of Man has come, blank, how would you answer that? What would he, the Son of Man, Son of Man is an expression that Jesus used about himself, okay, meaning like the Messiah, okay, or the promised one, the Son of Man has come into this world. The Son of Man has come into this world. How would you finish that sentence? The Son of Man has come what? Well, three times in the Gospels, this sentence is given to us. Three times says the Son of Man has come. And the first two times kind of make sense to us. The first time it says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This we understand. Son of Man has come into the world. Son of God came from heaven down to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. We got that one. Second time it says the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, that's matching the first one. The Son of Man came into this world to give himself to save people and to bring everyone, reconcile them to God. So the first two times the Son of God, the Son of Man has come, talks about what he came for, seeking to save and to give his life. The third time doesn't say what he came to do, but how he came to do it. How did Jesus come? How did the Son of Man come? He came to seek and to save. He came to give his life. But how did he accomplish both of those things? What was his means? What was his tool? Anyone know? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking on top of it. You've always wanted a verse that talks about Bible and drinking, haven't you? To kind of justify your position on drinking. Well, you came on a great day. That's what I'm saying. You came on a day where it says that the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And if you don't believe me, if you think that I am making that up, he ate and drank so much that they called him a glutton and a drunkard. Look what it says here. Here's the verse, Luke 7, 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I don't know how to say this any other nice way. I don't know how to say this any way other than the truth. Jesus liked to party. Jesus liked to party. Jesus liked to hang out. Jesus liked to go to people's houses, live it up a little bit. See, all the people who thought, like you say, the Messiah is going to come. All right, and we would say the Messiah is going to come praying. The Messiah is going to come fasting. The Messiah is going to come miserable, because kind of that's our picture of that's our picture of a good Christian life is miserable, smiling, not for God. Okay, thou shalt not laugh, thou shalt not smile, thou shalt not enjoy life. That's kind of how we think it is, but that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus at all. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, so much so that the people said, "Hey, Jesus." You eat and drink a lot. <laughs> and he even said to them, they said, how come you don't fast like we fast? He said, there'll come a time where you're going to fast. But now it's time to party. And Jesus came eating and drinking. <clears throat> you know that Jesus liked to have a good time because who loved Jesus and who hated Jesus? Who loved Jesus? Jesus was friend of sinners. The guys who knew how to have fun. Jesus was also a friend of children. Children loved him. Children don't like, who hated Jesus? The stuffies. The haughty, the uppity, the stuffy, the, those people, 
why Jesus you're always partying and why Jesus you're eating with those people and why Jesus you're always smiling and children. They didn't like him too much. But Jesus loved to party. Why is that? Obviously, there has to be more to it than meets the eye because it sounds like we're going in a negative direction here, a very sacrilegious direction. Everything, this is you're saying, my mama told me that I should come to church, but she didn't know this is what I was, was going to hear when I came. A man named Tim Chester wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus where he talks about the theology, basically, of Jesus and meals. And one of the quotes, he said this, he said, food matters. Meals matter. Meals are full of significance. Few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. Meals are a powerful expression, as Timothy Chester says right here, of relationship. Meals are a powerful expression. They're more than just about food. They're about companionship, relationship. We all have images. And maybe it's not even images. Maybe it's sense. Maybe it's memories centered around meals. Whether it was going to aunt, your auntie's house and you knew for that special meal, that birthday meal at auntie's house or whatever it was, the whole family gathered and you pull up in the driveway and you could smell that pumpkin pie from the driveway and you open the door and there was the aroma of fresh bread. That meal carries significance. Or maybe for you it was a holiday. It was like a Thanksgiving or like a Christmas at, at grandma's house or, or, or at your parents' house where everyone came from all the ends of the earth. Cousin uh, Eddie came from over there and these people drove from over here and the whole family gathered together for that Christmas and we were miserable, we hated each other, but we have memories of that time. And it was all centered around what? A meal, the Thanksgiving meal, the table. This is why when we were kids, there was a song called Summertime by Fresh Prince, okay? Okay, and one of the things it talked about, okay, for those who remember, all right, talked about the summer barbecue, okay, and something about, I won't quote the whole, but it says summer barbecue brings nostalgia. I don't know what it is about a summer barbecue, but just that summer barbecue reminds you of more than just the food. She agrees, okay, because there's something sacred about meals. Meals aren't just about food. Meals are about fellowship, and I use the word fellowship in the truest sense of the word, not in like the church way of like, let's go and fellowship together, which just means whatever, just come to this event. Come for Bible study and fellowship. Let's go out to the movies and fellowship and fellowship. I mean it in the truest sense of people, relationships, companionships, oneness. Look at restaurants. What do restaurants market and sell? Restaurants market and sell not food. They sell relationships. The Happy Meal, the McDonald's commercial about the Happy Meal. It's not about a Happy Meal. What's it about? Time with dad after the soccer game when the girl didn't do well. The dad had the Happy Meal. You see the commercial for the Happy Hour. Okay, they never talk about what they're drinking. It's about people laughing and joking and partying. and It's about relationship. Starbucks. Anyone who ever works at Starbucks knows anything about Starbucks. Starbucks, if you ask them, what are you in business for? They won't say coffee. They're about creating environments. And they create an environment which is cool and hipster and networking and cool and uppity or whatever it may be. They're all about creating relationships and connecting with people. I'll give you another quote from the same book. I didn't put it up on the screen. Chester says, the table is the great equalizer in relationships. When we eat together, when we eat together, we discover the inherent humanity of all people. We share stories and hopes. 
and fears and disappointments. People open up to each other, and we can open up to them and share the most important and meaningful things in life. No matter what culture you're from, no matter how you express it, meals are not just about food. Meals are about fellowship. There's something sacred there. There's something more than meets the eye. Think about it this way. Let's say you came to church here on a Sunday, and there was no coffee and no snacks. Would it be the same? For those who go back to the very beginning, our first week in business here at the church, first week back in May 2012, we were small. We were a small group, maybe like not even this number right here. We were small. So we said, you know what? Like, we don't know how many people are going to come, so we don't need coffee. We can, you know, operate without coffee. The church almost closed after week one, okay? And several people said, you either get coffee or I'm going to a new church, okay? And it's not about the coffee. But the coffee, if you come here and there's no food and there's no refreshments, it says, sit down, grab a seat, take notes. But when there's refreshments, it says, you're welcome here. Like, imagine you come to my house and spend two hours in my house. I don't even offer you a cup of water. Like, you may not even be thirsty, but the food says hospitality. You are welcome. We love you. The food is about more than the food. The food is about the fellowship. It's about the relationship. And that's why food was so important to Jesus. I wanted to show you now, I'm going to show you a couple examples of Jesus and how he used food in his mission. But what I want to tell you, I really struggled. I could have showed a million examples. There were so many examples. I tried to limit it down to just a few. But when, when you start to look at how many times Jesus was eating, or drinking, or at a meal, or talking about food, it is more than you can possibly imagine. But I'll give you just a few examples. First, again, let's, let's go back to Jesus and his mission. Jesus' mission was, seek and save that which was lost. Give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' mission was to restore the relationship between God and man, which had been broken. To bring God and man together, okay, and make them in union with one another. And his tool to do so was a table and food. I'll give you some examples. Once he met a guy named Levi. Levi was a bad guy who was away from God. He was far away. There was separation between him and God. And Jesus came to him and said, Levi, you don't need to be far from God. You need to be close to God. Levi said, okay, that's great. What do I do next? Jesus said, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, these were the, the, the stuffy guys. Why do you eat and drink? And clearly when they're saying it, this isn't the first time Jesus had done it. They're saying, why do you constantly go to people who are far from God, preach to them, and then go to their house and share a meal? And the answer is, is because that meal signified the unity of God and that man. The meal was more than just the meal. That's why Jesus did the same thing in the house of Zacchaeus. All right, when he did the exact same thing, he preached to Zacchaeus, and he went to his house and had a meal. Another time, Jesus and his disciples were trying to get together to have like a planning meeting. All right, just them. The disciples had gone on this mission trip and they came back tired. And Jesus said, okay, let's just go away. Just you 12 plus me, the 13 of us, let's go away to a faraway place and just spend time together. An introvert's dream. All right, let's just spend a small, short amount, or a small group of people and spend some time together. But that party gets crashed. All right. Oh, that's the, the yeah, let's go here. Not Luke 9. But when the multitudes knew it, when the multitudes knew that Jesus snuck away, they followed him. And what did he do when he followed them? When they followed him, did he say, get away? It says he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So he sp spoke to them about the relationship between God and man, try to restore. And when the day began to wear away, the 12 came and said to him, send the multitude away. They may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we in a deserted place here. But he said to them, no, you give them something to eat. Why? 
Because Jesus said, I'm trying to preach to them about the relationship between God and man to restore them, to heal them. And the meal is what seals it. The meal is the object lesson, is the illustration. Because I can tell you, I love you, and you're always welcome. But that doesn't register in your head until we sit around a table and I put the food in front of you. And then you say, you know what? I really am welcome here. The meal was more than the meal. The meal was about the fellowship. And I could go on and on and on. Jesus went to the house of Mary and Martha, speak the word of God, had a meal. Jesus went to the house of Simon the Pharisee and Simon the leper. And that's where that sinful woman came and did that whole alabaster flask thing. And Jesus had a meal. Jesus, when he was discussing with the Samaritan woman about eternity, all that discussion was over a drink. Jesus used meals. And by the way, that's just before his death and resurrection. After he rose from the dead, it was meal, 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 nonstop meal. The first time he appeared to his disciples, they were around a table and they were eating. And then when Jesus was on the road, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they were walking, they say, we're heading back because Jesus uh, died and, and he's gone. And Jesus said, no, no, this is me here. And he explained it to them. They didn't get it. And they didn't get it. He said, okay, you know what? You got a table and you got some bread? Let's sit down and let me explain this to you. The last one here. In John chapter 21, Jesus comes to Peter. Peter, who was far away from God, okay, because Peter had denied Christ. So Peter was feeling guilty and shame and feeling very, very, very bad. Jesus came to him and said, Peter, everything's going to be okay. But look how Jesus seals the deal. John 21, verse 9. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Jesus just did a miracle. Basically, Peter was fishing and he wasn't catching any fish. Jesus went to his boat, okay, or Jesus went to him and said, throw some the net over there and they caught all this fish. That's what he's referring to. Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. And then Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. I could give you 10 more examples right off the top of my head right here. And none of this is even including the most important meal where Jesus said this meal is a picture of heaven, which is the Last Supper. When Jesus said, what you do here, when you commemorate me after I go, you do so with a meal. Because this meal is a picture of heaven. Because a meal is not just about a meal. A meal is about fellowship. Now, so what? Okay, so basically all I've done is say that Jesus ate a lot. What does that have to do with us and, and our goal for the week? Well, let's talk about it this way. Sharing a meal, I hope you agree with me on this. Sharing a meal or a table, okay, sharing a table is even a better expression, is foreshadowing our fellowship in God's kingdom. The goal is not just fellowship here, but the goal is the foreshadowing of our fellowship in the kingdom of God. The expression sharing a table is a good expression, more than sharing a meal. Because what is, what is that Thanksgiving table that I just described earlier at your grandpa's house or your grandma's house? That's where people come from all over, everywhere that they live. This guy lived in, in, in Kentucky, this guy in West Virginia, this guy in Florida, this guy moved overseas. Everyone come back to the table from all the ends of the earth. And this one isn't talking to this one, but it's okay. We're around the table. Just make peace. It's okay. And this one is angry at this. It's okay. Just make peace because you need peace around the table. The table is, a sign is signifying that fellowship where everything is okay. The kingdom of God is exactly that picture. The kingdom of God is where Jesus came to say, the kingdom of God is not just for a select group of people. That's what they thought before Jesus came. Just the Jews, just these people. No, Jesus said, no, 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 bring the Gentiles. No, 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 bring the people from, from there. 
and bring these people who are sinners and the Samaritans, bring them and bring everyone together and let's share together because that's what the kingdom of God is like. Look at this verse. It says it as bluntly as possible. Luke 22, 29. And I bestow upon you a kingdom. As Jesus said, Luke 22 is where he died, okay? Or 23 is where he died, but I'm saying he's on his last day. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a table, a meal, where Jesus sits and everyone comes and gathers from all the ends of the earth. That's why there's another parable, which I didn't bring you. Jesus said one time a parable about the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding, which a rich man threw a big wedding banquet. And who was invited to that wedding banquet? He said, go gather the people from the highways and the byways and the sick and the outcast and the poor and the lame and bring them all that my table will be full. And that's a picture of what heaven is like. Picture of heaven is a picture of a table with a lot of food and fellowship around that table. Why that's important or why that's significant? Because realize during the time when Christ lived on this earth, there was always social norms and they were big on social norms. They were very much a class system. And certain people didn't eat with certain people. So a servant never ate with his master. Never. Servants ate over there. Masters ate over there. Jews over there. Gentiles over there. Rich over there. Poor over there. Even men and women had their roles in society. And everyone was very much separated. And that separation was manifest in meals. Like, that's where you could see it. Like, you could see a servant and a master walking together. You could see them in the house together. But you could never see them at the table together. Because the table was where it was very, very distinct and segregated. Those sat there. Those sat there. Everyone knew the rules. Everyone obeyed the rules. If you disobeyed the rules, you were shunned. Especially if you were a Jew. The rules were very strict. You broke those rules. You were shunned by Jewish society. What did Jesus do with those rules? He blew them up. He said, I don't believe in that. He said, I don't believe that men and women are any different. I mean, no, I don't have to say that. He said, I don't believe that one is higher or lower than the other. It says, in Christ, no male, no female. It says, in Christ, no servant, no master. In Christ, no rich, no poor. In Christ, no Jew, no Gentile. I don't believe in that stuff. And he wanted to rewrite the rules of society. But when he preached it, the people didn't get it. So he said, y'all people don't get it. I'm going to show it to you. Bring me a Gentile. Come sit here, Gentile. Bring me a Samaritan woman. And let me sit there and have a nice discussion, have a drink with that Samaritan woman. And they say, no, you can't do that. You can speak to her, but you can't have a drink with her. No, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to do that. And Jesus said, here, my bucket or your bucket. Bring me Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and people hated him. And let's have a party at his house. Let's not just invite him to a party. Let's have a party at his house and invite all his friends. Jesus' mission was to reconcile people, to break down barriers, to bring all of the children of God together under one shepherd. That was his mission. And the means that he used to accomplish it was a table, a meal. Why he used a meal? Because you know a meal, go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. A meal is where things got messed up in the first place. Fellowship got messed up over a meal, right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded, first thing, when God created man on this earth, First thing he did is he gave him a menu. He gave him a menu. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from the day you shall eat of it. You shall surely die. God created him. There's the trees. There's the forest. There's the lake. There's the animals. 
here's your menu. This is what you eat. This is what you don't eat. And it's not about the food. Like, is it about the food? Is it Jesus saying, you know, this is, you know, has like high fructose corn syrup. Don't eat this. Okay. This is really, really bad. It's not organic. Like, eat the organic. Okay. It's not about the food. It's about the fellowship. Jesus, or God wasn't telling them that this food is bad and this food is good. What God is saying is, fellowship with me is good, and I want you to have fellowship with me, and this is how we signify fellowship with me. What did man do? Man said, I want to eat over here. And that meant fellowship with the enemy of God. See, man left the table of God where man and God freely sat around a table, and man said, I want to eat with this sneaky little serpent guy. But it's not just a meal. Fellowship. And when man had fellowship away from God, man said, I want to figure this fellowship thing out. Like I want to, I want to do this thing away from God. The meal wasn't just the meal. The meal was the fellowship. And that's why Christ's mission on this earth was to fix this fellowship. There's to fix it. That man left the table of God, ate at the table of the serpent. So Jesus' mission is to bring man back to this table. I'll give you another example. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Famous verse. Maybe you never thought about it in the same way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, into him and dine with him. And he with me. You left the table. I came to tell you, come back to this table. Table of God. So here's what I'm trying to say. And then I'm getting to the practical. Jesus came to show people love of God, grace of God, beauty of God, Life in communion with God is the best. Jesus came to show people all that good stuff. And the tool that he used to show that is a meal. And if we are his ambassadors, and we are soldiers of the kingdom of light, and our mission is the same mission, then we should use the same tool. Unless you think you've got a better idea than the Son of God had. His mission is the same as my mission. His tool was a meal. Therefore, my tool is a meal as well. And here's your challenge for the week. Your challenge and my challenge is to share a table with two other people. Not at the same time. Not one meal with two people. Two separate meals with two separate people, or it could be more, okay? One of them, just like we did in the first week, has to be from church, one of them not from church. So you share a meal with someone from church and share a meal with someone not from church. And you have seven days to do it. Now, I know that sounds daunting. That sounds like, oh, that's like a big thing and time and I'm busy. Well, I got good news for you. You already probably got 21 meals scheduled over the next seven days. So therefore, I'm not asking you to add anything into your schedule. I'm not asking you to create a 22nd meal. I'm telling you that one of those 22 or 21, share it with someone else. And you know what you may say? I don't, I, that's bit, it doesn't have to be a meal. It can be coffee. Okay, because you got 21 meals, you probably got 75 coffees between now and next Sunday. Share one of those coffees with somebody else. It could be donuts at work. It could say, you know what, I'm going to bring in donuts for the team, and we'll all get in and we share whatever it may be. I know a person who, who organized like this, like not happy hour, but kind of sort of happy hour. Basically, after work on Fridays, they all go out together, and they go out wherever, and some of them drink, but not all, but no one, it's, not, it's, it's responsible is what I'm trying to say. And they go out every Friday, and they share together. And they talk about life, they talk about the kids, they talk about the boss that they hate, like whatever it is they do. They share a table together, even if it's not a meal. <clears throat> it could be as small 
or as big as you want it to be. It could be invite someone to church next Sunday and lunch afterwards. Share a table because that's the means that Jesus used. I wanted to do my best here to give you options of how small it can be, but I also want to be careful not to make you think necessarily small because it could be big. And if God is putting on your heart, if, if God is putting on your heart to do something big, then why limit yourself? Okay, maybe for you say, you know what? We do, we want to invite the neighbors over for like a dinner. I want to invite my boss over for a dinner. I want to throw a barbecue and invite the neighbors over. And I'll tell you a story just to show you that no matter how socially awkward you may be or how introverted you may be, you can do this. The year was 2004. And me and my wife, Marianne, had moved into our house in 2003. So we'd been in our house for a year. All right, back then, back then we didn't have any kids or anything like that. And I was a priest, and it was, it was, it was, it was uh, uh, townhouses, okay? And our little street was like the end, of the, the end of the thing, like the cul-de-sac. And it was like six houses on that side, six houses on this side. And nobody talked to anybody, nobody knew anybody. And I kind of liked it that way, okay? <laughs> because I'm not a very naturally, so like this is great. Everyone just kind of keeps themselves. And the key to me was always being on the phone when you pulled in, okay? So that way, just in case, you just, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You just pulled in, okay? And everyone was kind of doing their own thing. And then one Sunday, I went to church, and I wasn't the one preaching, but I heard a sermon about love your neighbors. And it was love your neighbor and love your neighbor. And I realized, oh my goodness, I hate my neighbors. Not that I hate them, but I don't know them. And the ones that I do know, I don't like. Okay, because he's always calling the, 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 the tow truck on the car that's just there for like two minutes. My mother-in-law got towed one time for just, like, why? Why do we have to do that to each other? Can't we all get along? But the sermon was, love your neighbor. I said, okay, man, we got to do something about it. So two very introverted, socially awkward people, one dressed like me, okay, just moved into this neighborhood. And we said, you know what? We're going to love our neighbors. And we did this, okay? This was high tech back in 2004, okay? This was like all put our heads together, Photoshop, whatever it may be. We created this little invite, these dumb little invites on these dumb little cards, and we put it on these dumb little cardstock, and we put one on everyone's door in our neighborhood. And you see how cheesy it is. Warm up with, like it was, it's cheesy, okay? And we didn't know what was going to happen. We said, we said, we're the weird people in the street, so I don't know if anyone's going to come. Next to us, we had this, the lady who was living right next to us, we used to call her the Samaritan woman. Because she was a single woman, and every week there was a new guy going in and out of there. Okay? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Maybe she had a lot of brothers. I don't know. Okay? I have no idea, but we just call her the Samaritan woman. Next door was the tow truck guy, okay? Who just sat there and, and he just he was a difficult person, okay? Next door to them was a house of college kids. Okay, it was three students from George Mason. But it wasn't just three people in that house. Like, they were the rowdy ones, okay? And they're the ones, and you'd find, like, beer cans sometimes on the lawn and stuff like that. Like, they were enjoying their time. So we said, I don't know if anyone was going to come. We didn't know how much food. We didn't know what to do. We did this. I'm telling you. You can ask my wife. You see right there, it said 4 to 6 p.m. I'm telling you, people didn't leave. It was 8 o'clock, 8.30 p.m. before the last people left. And you know who was the last people to leave? The college students. The college students, who I thought, like, there's no way they're going to want to hang out with us. So I think someone leaned on the light there. That's okay. If you push that, it's going to, it's okay. That's okay. It's okay. If you push that, it's all going to go out. I'm sorry. <laughs> push on that back wall, number four. That back wall right there. Push number four. Yeah, behind you there. Push number four, and it'll be very good. Okay. I'm telling you, the college kids didn't want to leave. 
Like, you know how when you have people over, you mingle, you socialize, there's some drinks, and then you have some food, and then people sit and you talk, and then you're done eating, and then, like, the food goes away. Well, they said, like, we're still hungry. <laughs> so we had to, like, make more food, okay? And eventually I told Marianne, ixnay on the food, because we got to get these people out of here, okay? It was like a Sunday night, and I think it was playoffs or something, but... My point is, we were shocked at the way people, like what that meal did would not have been the same without the meal. What that meal did, invite the people over, it created like a good spirit in our neighborhood. Okay, and we feel like, you know, I hope it had an effect even on the Samaritan. Okay, but you know what I mean? Like, everyone longs for fellowship. College kids, partying, this lady, lots of friends. But I'm telling you, you sit around the table and you talk and you open up and you put the phone down and you focus, people yearn for that. And that is the means by which we as Christians can show the rest of this world that God loves them, God cares about them, they are welcome in our home, not just on this earth, but in our home in heaven. And you would be shocked at the power of a meal can have. I'll give you this quote right here, again from Tim Chester. He said, if every Christian household regularly invited a stranger into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. How's that? You came to church, I didn't tell you to pray. I didn't tell you to fast. I didn't tell you to make a donation. I didn't tell you to read the Bible. I told you to go out there and party. But party like Jesus party. Eat like Jesus ate. Drink like Jesus drank. Okay. Not, not how he did. It's time for us this week to take some time out of our schedules, out of our lives, to think and to pray. Say, God, what do you want me to do? Like I said, it can be as small as coffee. It can be as small as how about ice cream? All right, go out for ice cream after work, something like that. It can be it can be something as small as a snack. Like it doesn't need to be anything big. But don't limit yourself. It could be a neighborhood barbecue. How many of us, okay, the weather's nice. How many of us are planning to do a barbecue in the backyard? Well, I tell you what, do the barbecue in the front yard. And anyone who walks by, invite them to have a burger. Veggie burger, of course, that is. We're in Lent, okay? But you know what I'm trying to say. Don't do it in the backyard. Do it in the front yard. Don't say that I'm going to call uh, so-and-so, who's my uh, friend, and we're going to go out. Say, you know what, I'm going to call this lady who I saw in church who she's got two kids, and me and my kids, and my brother's kids, we're going to go out and do this. Let me call this random lady from church who I know she's got two kids, and she would love a break from her kids. Let's go out, and we'll go to McDonald's together, and then we'll go to the museum and invite her to come to the museum with us. Let's this week challenge ourselves to eat like Jesus ate. Because whether or not you realize it or don't realize it, you cannot separate Christianity from eating. Ever since the very beginning of Christianity, the table and a meal has been central to our faith. I didn't even talk about the most important meal. The meal that unites us all together. That when Christ said, after I go, I will still be with you on this earth when you gather around my table. And the sign, the manifestation, the visible of my communion with God is bread and wine. It's a table that we gather around. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for that table, we wouldn't have the unity that we have.
We wouldn't have the communion with one another or with God. It's around a table that we receive Jesus in the form of bread and wine, and it's around a table that we will show others the love of Christ, the same Jesus. We will show them that same love and that same care and that same desire for all ends of the earth. No barriers, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female, no rich, no poor, no servant, no master. We will show the world that same spirit and that same message when we invite them to join us around a table. So this week, what's your homework assignment? Is to eat like Jesus and to drink like Jesus. You leave here today and you start living it up. You start eating and drinking, but you don't do it alone. You invite someone to join you around the table, okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for inviting us, <clears throat> for inviting us to have fellowship with you around your table, for showing us that we are always welcome at our Father's house and to share a, ta a meal with our Father in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the same spirit of like welcoming and hospitality and love and give us to be able to go out of here and share that with the world around us. And you, Lord, put on our hearts the people that need, that need it, whether it's someone from this church or someone outside this church. Guide us, Lord, and direct us to who you want us to invite and share a meal with this week. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.